Welcome to Grow and Learn. This is Zarina. Today we're going to be speaking about writing your PhD. We are going to be speaking about education. We are going to be speaking about what takes you so long to write this paper. <laughs> First of all, the importance also of education. You know, we, we tend to dismiss it, but it's still a very valid piece of paper that you may want to have. My guest today is Jen Harrison. She is the CEO of Read, Write, Perfect, and she helps people finish their uh, PhD documents. I don't know what they're called, thesis. <laughs> hi, Jen. Dissertation. Hi. Dissertation. Hi. Welcome. So I have not gotten myself to this level of education. I have an MBA and I don't think I'm going to go for any higher education in this realm anymore, but who knows? <laughs> Fair enough. What is the typical uh, PhD student that you're helping? What kind, what area of, uh, of studies do they normally follow? Sure. Well, you, you know, I get students that come from all different disciplines, actually. So I've had students who are working in um, things like forensics and criminology. I've had students who are working in history and business and psychology. We get a lot of counseling students Um I've had a couple of computer science people. So it, it really is kind of a mixed bag of who reaches out for help. And I think the reason for that is that the problems they're facing are, are very um, standard across the board. They, uh, a lot of students, regardless of what discipline they're in, they're all struggling with the same kinds of things. Uh, okay, so people writing their thesis, their dissertations face a lot of problems, you're saying. <laughs> what, yeah. what are some of the common problems? Maybe challenges rather than problems. But, challenges. Um, mm. Yeah. So um, a lot of what I see is that uh, students will go into these programs not necessarily as prepared as they could be. And that is very much down to the institutions. Um, they don't necessarily make it clear what that gap is going to be between your um, your undergraduate studies and what you've gotten used to in terms of higher education and that kind of difference in intensity and difficulty that comes with graduate studies. So um, students don't necessarily always have the research skills that they need. They don't necessarily have the skills, the soft skills that they might need to start working more independently um, without that kind of level of constant guidance that you get before the graduate level. Mm -hmm. And um, in some cases, they may not have a very clear idea of what a dissertation actually involves. So what are the different sections when they're told to do a lit review? What is a lit review? How do you do one? And the institutions aren't great about providing this information either when you get into the program. So a lot of students find themselves in a PhD program. They're super psyched up because they got in and they're doing this thing that they really wanted to do. Then they become very quickly overwhelmed because they don't know how to do it. They're not getting a lot of guidance and they don't really have the previous skills to keep them going. So that's kind of one thing is, is being um, not prepared and then feeling kind of very crushed because they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I see a lot of burnout. I see a lot of um, people struggling with imposter syndrome, feeling like they don't really belong there or they're kind of faking it um, and they're hoping nobody will notice that they don't belong. Um, so I see that a lot. Um, and then I also see students kind of struggling with the, just the basics of balancing work and life and well-being with this kind of very intense project that they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they usually work alongside the professor, right? So there is no, what you're saying is that there usually is no guidance outside of the um of the subject matter that tells them what the the dissertation should look like what the chapters are like how to write a business plan in a way but for a dissertation for dissertation, dissertation. Exactly. 
Mm -hmm. A business plan's a good way of thinking about it. And even though there is that um, subject level expertise from their uh, supervisor, the professor that they work with, those professors are usually very um, overburdened themselves. They don't often have a lot of time. A lot of them are not very skilled as teachers. And so even there, they don't get the support they need. It can take, you know, I've had students describe to me waiting months for a reply to an email or a piece of feedback on their work. Um, and so th that can be very frustrating for students as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what are some of the steps that you walk them through in order to get them out of, of similar situations? Well, so there's a couple. Um, I think the first thing that, you know, the first thing that most students need is to know that they're not alone in that situation, that they're not unusual for struggling, um, that it's not any kind of deficiency in them. And that, you know, once they understand the bigger picture that, you know, everybody's struggling with this, this is why you're not getting the support you want. This is why you don't know what you don't know. Um, that's kind of the first step. It gives them that little boost that they need to know that they're doing the right thing and they should continue with it. And it's just a matter of seeking help. And then from that point onwards, it's a combination of teaching them. So this is what should look, you know, this is what your work should look like. Here's the process you use to get there. Here's how you do this thing you're being asked to do. So that kind of tuition in the processes and the content, but also in the soft skills, the time management, how do you actually get that balance? How do you, you know, if you've only got an hour in a day, how do you still get something done instead of wasting that hour? So a lot of kind of poaching on that side as well, so that it can make the most of their time in their programs. Mm -hmm. And how and talking about time, how long does your coaching take? Because you know, if, if you coach them for one hour a day, it's also time consuming. It is. Yeah. I, I mean, so my coaching sessions are an hour. Most people use one hour a week on that. So that's not too bad. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them use more, but that's kind of pretty typical. And we use those coaching sessions usually to give them what they need to then work more throughout the week before they see me again next. And in some cases, we do actually um, sit and draft in the sessions. So the student, you know, whatever the student was stuck on, we'll try and get them over that hump and get that piece of work done so that as they continue for the rest of the week, they don't feel like they are stuck and not sure what to do. And so we'll do um, to-do lists and we will kind of map out next steps and we'll practice techniques so that they know what they're doing for the rest of the time while they're not with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also educated in writing, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you help them also with the writing. Mm -hmm. And so how long does it normally take for, for people to write a PhD dissertation? So the writing and the actual completion are two different things. Um, to do a PhD program can take anything from a few months to a few years. You know, I've known people to be in their programs for five, six years, and I've known people to finish their programs within five or six months. So it very much depends on the program that you're enrolled in, whether you're full-time, whether you're part-time, um, how quickly you work, how flexible your school is, what other commitments you have. So that one is really kind of how long is a piece of string question. Mm -hmm. But once you actually have, um, you know, you've been accepted into your program and you are actually finished with all your coursework and you're sitting down to do the actual dissertation study, you've got two elements that you're looking at. You're looking at the actual research, so designing your study collecting your data, doing your reading for your lit review, um, and analyzing your data. And then there's the actual writing, which is where you write about all the things that you did and what your results were and so forth. And those 
for some students, that's that's the, the same process. You know, they write as they work. And for other students, they get everything done first and then they sit down to write. So that that can be two separate things. And, you know, depending on how closely intertwined they are for you, um, it can take more time or less time. Mm-hmm. The, the title of this uh, episode is going to revolve around the imposter syndrome, dealing with that. You mentioned yeah. this is a, a very common... Uh, showstopper so to say for for your clients how do you deal with overcoming this limiting belief so um i think the very first thing like i said is to recognize that you're not alone in it because i think that's where imposter syndrome often comes from is you feel like you are the only person in the world who doesn't know what they're doing doesn't know what they should be doing who doesn't belong there um so the first thing is to know like everybody is feeling just like you are you're not alone in this And the more you are um, honest and kind of open about what you're struggling with, the more you'll see that everybody else is as well. And you'll be able to mutually help each other and and access the help that you need. So that's kind of the first and biggest and most overarching thing um, is to recognize you're not alone and start seeking help actively rather than trying to cover it up and hide it. But then so I have like some very specific strategies as well that I suggest to my students to kind of get them moving in that regard. Um, and some of that has to do with mindset and some of it is actual practical things you can do to help with mindset. So first thing is um, don't compare yourself to other students. So that it's really tempting to do it. Academia is such a competitive environment and it encourages you to compare and um, kind of measure yourself against other people. But really important when you're dealing with imposter syndrome is to resist that. Don't do it because every PhD is different, every student is different, every project's different, every supervisor is different. So you can't compare, you're you're not comparing like to like. What you should do is compare yourself to yourself. So where were you a week ago? Where were you a month ago? Where are you now? That's how you measure your progress. If you've managed to move forward from where you were previously, then then you're making progress. Um, The other thing I suggest is to then engage in a affirmative behaviors, because it's really hard for us to recognize that we're making progress, even when we are. Um, again, as human beings, we we focus on threat, we focus on difficulties so that we can, you know, in evolutionary terms, uh, avoid the threats, survive, kind of keep going. So our brains are wired that way. It's hard for us to see when we're doing well. So you need to kind of make it a, a, a deliberate thing that you do in your day to recognize the positives, to recognize the successes you've had, to recognize the progress you're making. So I suggest things like um, journaling, daily affirmations, you know, naming out loud, even if you feel silly, what it is that you have achieved in that day, um, chatting with friends or mentors and saying, hey, what have I achieved today? And having them tell you so you can hear it out loud. Um, again, it seems like such a, a silly small thing, but when we make something like that a reality, on paper or out loud so that it's out there in the world, it's easier for us to see it and recognize it. And that can really help with imposter syndrome. Uh, and then the last thing is I say, like seek and accept all the help you need without feeling guilty about it. I think a lot of people are really reluctant to seek help. You know, we feel like we've got to be good at everything, if, especially when we're in one of these high power positions, when you're you know, running a company or you're, um, on our board of directors, or you are in a PhD program, or you are starting your own business, you feel like this is this is a really high prestige thing I'm doing. So I need to look like I know it all. But none of us are good at everything. So you know what your strengths are, you know why you're doing the things you're doing. 
um, you know, and for a PhD student, it might be you're great at your subject, you're a fantastic psychologist, or you're, you know, a fantastic computer scientist. Doesn't mean you have to be great at writing. It doesn't mean you have to already know everything there is to know about analyzing data. Th th those things are still things you can be learning. And so, you know, treat it like any other area that you would where you're not good at something. Go and find somebody who can help you get good at it. You know, mm -hmm. Well, that's a great advice because a lot of people, people that I've spoken to have a difficulty writing just as they, as they have difficulty speaking because you, it's, I think, related to the imposter syndrome. Who am I to state my opinion, yeah. <laughs> be it orally or, or in writing? So what are some techniques that you use to structure people to write in a acceptable decent way for a dissertation so i'd say a lot of it comes down to um, revision like you're not going to get it right the first time know what it should look like so know things like i have to be assertive know things like i have to support my writing um know things like i've got to get the tone sounding professional then don't try and aim for that on the first go write down what you mean to say in the first go focus on your content focus on your message once that's down on the paper then go back and revise in layers. Like pick one thing that you know you need to fix. Maybe your tone is too informal. You're a very informal person. Go back and revise for just that thing. And if you struggle to be a very formal writer, go and find an editor who, who specializes in formal writing and say, here is my content. Here is what I'm trying to say. Can you make the writing more formal for me? <laughs> then go back and look at it again. Say, okay, well, have I supported everything that I needed to with some good sources? If I haven't, okay, that's my task now is to go back and put those in here. So, because I think a lot of people want to get the task done quickly. And so they want to get right on the first go. And that's not really how writing works. Like that's never how writing works, even when you're a really good writer. Um, so, you know, you're, you're kind of wasting your time and putting a heavy load on your shoulders by having that expectation. So instead, just kind of focus on the most important thing, your expertise, your message, the thing you're trying to say, and then know that you can deal with the other things later and you can deal with them one by one and you can ask for help with them. Jen, have you had any people that are actually enjoying writing dissertations and they're not just trying to get rid of it as fast as possible? I really have, actually. Um, yeah, it's probably about a 50-50 split. There are some students who love the process so much. They love the reading. They love the subject that they don't ever want to finish. And it's quite hard to get them to recognize you're done now. You've done enough. You can stop and move on. And then there are others who just who you know they want the, the end line they're so excited about their results that they don't like the journey of getting there and so they're kind of the complete opposite they just want to get done quickly and get those results out into the world and for them it's very much a case of no no slow down we've got to do this the right way yeah okay so if people want to try out your services if they're struggling now or they just want to know if, if a phd is, is good for them or a graduate degree and how can they reach you? Sure. Or, yeah. Uh, so, um, so they can reach me. The best way to reach me is by my website. So that is www.readwriteperfect.com. And if you go to my website, there's a ton of resources on there. And you can also book a free session with me where I can kind of talk through whatever questions you have. Um, give you some next steps for moving forward. So that's how most people start off with me. They do that free session and we have a, a chat about what they need and, you know, what could help them to get moving again. Um, and then also, like, if any of your listeners are are finding that what I'm saying resonates with them and they want to learn more, um, I'll also do a, an hour-long session. So my freebie is half an hour, but 
listeners to this podcast can have an hour if they reach out and mention this podcast um, and it would be great to chat with them. Awesome. Thank you so much for this generous offer <laughs> on behalf of the listeners. Um, just be, before I let you go, Jen, is there like, what would you say is, um, is the biggest benefit of, or maybe some of the benefits, but what's the biggest benefit of having a PhD degree? Hmm. Having it or doing it? Both. <laughs> okay. So I think the biggest benefit of having it is that you become an expert in that little niche. That may or may not be a benefit for you, depending on what it is you want to do with the rest of your life. So for anyone thinking about doing a PhD, I would say, think about that first. What do you actually want this for? Do you need to be an expert? Do you need to be recognized as an expert? Because if you do, the PhD is like an amazing way to have that and it will be super valuable. But if that's not something you need, the value may be lower for you. Mm. So that's having a PhD. Benefit of doing a PhD is you push yourself, you learn a ton of new skills, but you really learn about yourself. You learn what you value, you learn how you work, you learn um, a lot of, like I said, soft skills that are going to be great in anything you do next. You learn project management. So the process of doing one itself, I think, is hugely valuable for anyone who does it, whether that's the best way to get those skills or not, and whether you actually need the end product of a PhD very much comes down to you and what you want to do in your life. Mm. Is there an overlap of this split um, to the people who are enjoying the process and the ones who are pursuing the end result? Yeah, I think so. So um, for many people who are really enjoying the process, I think they maybe don't always know where they want to go next. And so continuing to be immersed in this project is a way of delaying that next step. I personally think it's a good idea before you do a PhD to sit down and really work out what you're going to do after your PhD. Mm -hmm. And it will give you that perspective as you work through it. Mm -hmm. This was very insightful, Jen. I've always asked myself questions about PhD and whether it's worth it. And you managed to answer a lot of my questions. <laughs> Thank do, you so much. you think it would be worth it for you? Um, I am not quite sure. I was actually looking at a metaphysical a study in metaphysics, um, which okay. is apparently a branch of philosophy. I didn't know that uh, because that would be something interesting for me, but I don't know if I need it. So I'm not quite yeah. sure. <laughs> well, I've given you something to think about anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely an interesting area. Probably that's the only thing that I'd be interested in exploring right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, fascinating. Yeah. So once again, people can reach you at readwriteperfect.com and you're offering a free one hour uh, introductory session, strategy session to anyone who mentions the Grow and Learn podcast. Correct. Yep. Jen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and very informative indeed. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. 
With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.